Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 176th videocast, 166th podcast for the week ending March 2nd, 2023. Hello, everybody. Live from New York City today. I uh, was in to do Fox Business with Charles Payne, so we'll run through the media and uh, just had such a fun time with Charles. And we're going to play the segment here in a second. I just want to thank Charles Payne, Kayla Aristivo for having me on the show, as well as the team, Nicholas Palazzo, Cara DeFracine, and Julia, who walked me through Fox into the Gutfeld studio, which was my first time in that studio. So it was just a phenomenal time. A uh, lot of fun in this segment. So definitely listen to Charles on this one. And we'll be back in a second. So you don't have to be an, uh, an investor in the market long, right? Bef before you learn that, it's just sort of riddled with what they call axioms, truths, myths. Some of them make sense, right? Like buy low, sell high. Although when you start to even think about that, that means often you would sell too early or not buy, you know, for fear. I don't want to chase this. And then, of course, this thing keeps going up. So here's my next guest. He's here to debunk some of the myths that you hear almost every single day in the financial media. Joining me now, Great Hill Capital Chairman Thomas Hayes. All right, Tom, I got to start with the, the one of the number one right now. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed. Well, everyone's been saying don't buy stocks now because you can't fight the Fed. What we see is the last four tightening cycles since 1994. Stocks are up actually 7.8% during the tightening cycle. The second myth that we're going to bust, uh, Charles, is earnings. Everyone says you can't buy stocks right now. Earnings are going down, right? right? Well, it's since 1930, in years that earnings were up year on year, the S&P was up 10.2%. In years that earnings were down uh, year on year, S&P was up 9.8%, and most people miss that. Is, is that because the market senses this and it starts to go down anyway? I mean, yeah. you look in the, in the last six months, for instance, right? Everyone last year was saying earnings estimates are too high. Yeah. Guest after guest, as the market was coming down, and as these numbers have come out, actually worse than expected, yeah. we had a pretty good pop. You know, everyone's waiting for a storm that already passed. You know, we, we corrected 25% peak to trough last year, Charles, anticipating the slowdown that we're seeing right now. Now, if you believe 2024 earnings at 250 on the S&P, then actually what we should start to do in coming months is actually rally in anticipation of the recovery. With that in mind, uh, the contrarian idea I saw where you like, you've, you've got an idea that's, that's almost totally counter the overall Wall Street narrative right now. Yeah. So uh, we like uh, 3M. No one likes it. Uh, it's been left for dead. We're, we're kind of deep value guys. And uh, basically, it's got some litigation overhang. So they have uh, litigation with earplugs. The Department of Defense came out yesterday and said 90 percent of people who use these earplugs had no problem. That's going to lift some weight. It's trading at 11.5 times forward earnings versus its historic multiple of 17 times forward earnings. And it's great financial crisis, low multiple of 14 times earnings. So we like this. They're going to do a couple of tax free spins to unlock the value. If you take a look at this over the next 12 to 24 months, I think we got a double plus. All right, because sometimes, it's, uh, you know, these stocks have low valuations, have low valuations for a good reason. Well, this one's different. This is a high quality business. It's just a litigation overhang. This management has been compounding capital at double digits for years and years and years. Once this overhang is lifted, they pay the fine, they pay whatever they have to pay. This thing can take off. So it might take a little while to get going, but right. when it does, it's going to be worth it. You also like seasonality, right? Uh, yeah, you, I mean, no it, and, you know, we know the third year president cycle usually does well coming out of the last two weeks of february we usually turn back up yeah why does that work 
We don't know, but it does. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> There's no question about it. So look, you know, February, everyone got negative. We had to pay back some for January. Right. Next two months are the strongest months in the four, four years of the presidential cycle. So that's a positive thing. And, the, and you've seen it in the last few weeks. People have been selling equities like crazy. The last time they sold equities this, this much was in the spring of 2020 after the rebound off the lows. Everyone said we were going to go back to the new lows, right. just like they're saying right. now. What right. did we do? We went up 50 Oh, my goodness, man. Did Wall Street get that wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. Wall Street and a political class. It's a it's uh, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. I can't let you go without asking about Alibaba in, in the Chinese market. Yeah, a lot of false starts there. Uh, is is, it, is the dust cleared? I mean, can can an, an investor go in there now and make some money? Look, we've been buying Alibaba for months. This is going to be the last time you're going to have a chance to buy this thing under $100. You saw the composite PMIs yesterday completely off the charts. And I think what people are underestimating in terms of the global recovery is China's going to crush the 5% GDP. Rising tide lifts all boats. You can buy Alibaba at 2014 prices. You know what the only difference is, Charles? They've grown revenue by 800%. They've grown earnings and cash flow by 500%. This thing is going to take off and people are going to chase. What we need is a little weakness in the dollar, too. Uh, President Xi, though, no more, uh, he won't attack the, these big tech names, Chinese tech names anymore? Well, I think when he saw the people rioting in the streets, he figured out, wait, people want economic prosperity. We got to let, we got to let this thing yeah, run. Yeah, he should have learned a lesson. When you take someone off a bicycle and put them in a car, <laughs> they'll fight you tooth and nail to go never back. go back to a bicycle, by the way, except in New York City. This is the first First time ever that they're going to do their recovery, their stimulus is all going to be consumption-based versus infrastructure-based. Remember, they built those yeah, empty the cities, cities, the Britain, yeah. the whole thing. It's all going into consumption, and Alibaba is the toll taker. If you're buying something in China, you're probably going through Alibaba or one of the others, but Alibaba's got the biggest share. That thing's going to work, and that cloud business is just getting started with the digitization. So I know it's down and out. I know no one loves it, but I'll be back maybe in 12 months, and we'll talk about it, and we'll say We'll try to get you back soon. Great stuff, Tom. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right, folks, we'll be, we'll be right back. And we're back. So uh, we're going to move on here. And you may have picked up a new name in there that we're uh, spending some time on. I uh, also want to thank Philip Yin and Ryan Gallagher for having me on CGTN America yesterday. And this segment was uh, uh, less about China and less about uh, some of the subjects we covered with Charles and more about inflation. But uh, good, good uh, dialogue nonetheless. So we're going to cut to this here. All right. For more on the markets, our favorite bull, Thomas Hayes, founder, chairman, managing member, Great Hill Capital. Good to see you again. Um, we have a new month, but I think we have the same problem because we're going to talk about the same problems. And I don't know if you've changed your mind on what the Fed might or might not do, but I, I don't think we have CPI under control. The inflation issue keeps creeping up. Are we overplaying this hand? Well, I think we might be overplaying the pessimism a little bit, Phil. We, we had our normal seasonal sell-off, which happens the second two weeks of February historically. February is a weak month. And we had a little payback for a monster record uh, January. But as we move into March and April, uh, that tends towards strength, seasonal strength. Money comes back into the markets, especially in a pre-election year. The first two quarters of the uh, pre-election year are the strongest two quarters of the four-year presidential cycle. So I think things are going to be strong. As for inflation, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, is uh, inflation is going to continue to come down as it has every single month since July. The question is the pace. So the market got a little bit spooked in February because it wasn't as fast as everyone thought. Uh, we think that's going to be a one-off. Uh, we, you know, the market got spooked because retail sales were strong. The jobs report was strong. 
the economy was strong and it made the market think that the Fed's going to have to do an awful lot more. And, and we think that uh, the market may be overestimating what needs to be done. So, okay, so to follow on that, we saw some indications on the data in February, at least here in the U.S., that inflation is, is questionable. We got some data from Europe, specifically Germany, that showed that CPI was ticking up, apparently. Now we have this China factory numbers, which is, you know, all systems go. And if we're trying to slow the global economy down with, with these all firing on all cylinders, that can't be a good scenario if you're looking for a, a slowdown in the global economy. Yeah, well, one of the biggest factors of U.S. CPI, Phil, is owner's equivalent rent. And if you look at new leases, commercial and residential versus existing leases, they're coming down materially. And that's going to really be seen aggressively in the numbers in May, June and July. And that extremely heavyweighted component of CPI is going to start to show on that lag basis in May, June and July. So I think we just have to bide our time. If it moves down slowly like it did in February or quicker than expected, it's kind of immaterial. You know, we have the jobs report coming out next Friday on the 10th. Then we have CPI on Tuesday, the 14th, before the Fed meets on the 22nd. But everyone knows, right. and it's priced in the market, we've got at least two more 25 basis point hikes, maybe a third. But the market seems to be bearing it pretty well. The 10-year hit 4% today, I, and equities I was, I basically was shrugged that. it off. I, I was going to mention that, that and I, I have to, we're looking at the 10-year pretty closely because of so many things in terms of long-term investments are tied to the 10-year, specifically home and home construction. That number, why is the 10-year at 4%? I mean, it's peaked up, and half the market thinks we're going into recession. The other half think it's all systems go. Somebody's got to give. Either the Fed is right or the markets are right. They can't both be right under the current scenario. Well, look, you've got the economy strong and you have a fear of Fed keeping its pedal to the metal. But the Fed is going to be crimped, especially as you have this standoff on the debt ceiling, because the interest expense is becoming too high. So 3% is going to become the new percent. They're going to continue to pin long-term expectations to 2% because they don't want the consumer to change their behavior and start buying aggressively because prices are going out of control. Uh, so they'll keep talking 2%, but the real goal has to be 3%. Why? Because our only way out of 120% debt to GDP is to run inflation above trend for three to five years like we did post-World War II the last time we were at 120% debt to GDP. By following that playbook, they brought debt to GDP down to 63% within a handful of years. And if they follow that playbook now, let, let inflation run a little hotter than expected, keep managing long-term expectations down, uh, I think we're going to bring debt to GDP down. And I think this the economy right. is going to continue to hum. I don't want to get too technical here, but the valuations, the S&P 500, somewhere between 17 and 18 times forward, depending on who you talk to or which numbers you take. Um, I've got some experts that have told me that they should be closer to 12, 13, which would imply a, a drop in the markets of 25%. And I, I, I'm the bull like you. I try to argue, well, wait a minute, there's cash on the sidelines. Things are getting better. Things aren't that bad, yada, yada. Uh, what is a reasonable valuation to pay in this market? And when I mean reasonable to pay, you want to pay it because you still want to give yourself some upside, right? So it's not full valuations that you're looking for. And then where are we supposed to make some money this month? 
Well, we're basically trading where your bearish friends are suggesting. If you if you back out the top four or five weights of the S&P 500, the multiple comes down another two turns. If you look at 2024 earnings, uh, you're basically looking at 15.8 times 2024. So, uh, look, we had our big correction. People are waiting for the storm that already passed. We, we corrected 25% last year in anticipation of the slowdown that we're seeing this year. And we're going to start to rally in anticipation of the economic earnings recovery in 2024 with S&P earnings at 250. I've got a boring company for you that got some really good news. Uh, I know you like picks, Phil, so we're gonna go with 3M today. First off, number one, stick with your Alibaba. This will probably be the last time you have a chance to ever buy it below $100. So that, that goes without saying. But in terms of the US, we've got a sleepy company called 3M. They got some good news that the Department of Defense said that 90% of the earplug lawsuit plaintiffs had normal hearing which has been a legal overhang on the stock. The stock is trading at 11 and a half times forward earnings compared to its historic multiple of 17 times. You get a five and a half percent dividend while you wait. Uh, and it's even lower than its great financial crisis uh, multiple of 14 times. So we like this business Four components, industrial transport, healthcare, and consumer. Uh, we think that this is gonna get a re-rating as some of the legal overhang uh, comes out and as they do a couple tax-free spins uh, to unlock value <laughs> for is, the shareholder. There is nothing wrong with boring and I'm happy to get paid to wait. Uh, Thomas, always good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. And we're back. Want to thank uh, Philip Yin and Ryan Gallagher on that front. Uh, moving along, I'd like to thank Samritha Aruna Salem and Chavi Mehta for having me in their Reuters article this week, as well as Manyi Sayani for having me in her Reuters article earlier in the week. Um, also want to thank uh, uh, deeply the uh, large group out of Texas who came in this week. Uh, we're very, very happy to have you on board uh, and uh, appreciate all the talks with the Middle East group and uh, two interesting partners out of California, younger than I am, uh, just uh, sold a, uh, uh, I'll just say, a computer business for something over $100 million, and uh, they're looking to come on board. So uh, great conversation. Thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, and let's move right down to brass tacks this week. Want to talk to uh, about Bostic today, came out and talked 25 basis points. Uh, talked about summer pause, so more in line with the market. It was good to see that. That caused the market to recover. Uh, then we had um, uh, earlier this week, I put out a tweet. Uh, for those of you following Cooper Standard, I said, the only way left to get cheap money, buy a new car. Uh, used cars are toast this year at 8 to 12% financing for the average purchaser. But just look at these random ones that I pulled off the internet over the weekend. Ford F-150, 0% APR for 36 months. Uh, then you had uh, Chevy Silverado, 2.99% uh, APR. That's for Silverado and Equinox. This is in an 8% interest rate environment. So if you want cheap money, go buy a new car. And that's what people are going to do this year and they're doing. Nissan, their Ultima 0% financing for 36 months. We're going to start seeing more and more of these. And for those of you who think they're going to get away with that uh, fake scarcity game that they've been playing for the last three years, just selling high margin cars to the rich, 
uh, get ready. If it's not Tesla, it's going to be Nissan, Hyundai, Honda. They're going to flood the market with lower-end cars, uh, and it's just going to start humming. Honda Ridgeline, 1.9% APR financing. Hyundai, 3.4%. Fiat, 2.9%. Chevy Equinox, 2.99%. Acura, 3 and change. So across the board, uh, if you want to get a deal, that's what's going to be happening this year. Quote of the week, we're going to talk about all intelligent investing is value investing, which is simply acquiring more than you're paying for. You must value the business in order to value the stock. That's Charlie Munger. A couple other Twitter things I want to cover. Jay Capel over at Sentiment Trader. He said, we would not call this a quote buy signal, but note that when the three-month average PMI drops below 48, it has typically been closer to the end of a bear market than the beginning. 1956 and 2001 are the major exceptions. The average return one year later, 17 point, uh, I'm sorry, the median returns one year later are 17.3%, two years, 29.62, three years, 46.74. Most people will miss all of that because they're sitting on their hands while the market climbs the wall of worry. They're waiting for evidence. By the time you have the evidence, you're at the top. Uh, next is uh, sometimes it takes a while for things to get going, but surges in percent of S&P 1500 stocks with RSI above 70, like those in August 2022 and again in February 2023, tend to ultimately follow through to the upside. Uh, different this time, we'll find out soon. So when that happens, median returns one year out, 20%, etc. So it's just the weight of the evidence. We've been through stuff like this over and over and over, particularly in uh, October and September when we were at the lows and everyone was saying we were going to fall another 20%. And we were saying, if you're not buying here, you're in the wrong business. Uh, and so far that's held true. We got the 18.5% rally. We got the February consolidation. And it looks like now in early uh, March, we should find some footing and probably no look back. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's, it's now or never time. So uh, Sumit, uh, who's been a loyal follower for uh, uh, some time, he put this out, the China's households have about eight to 12 trillion, uh, I'm sorry, eight to 10 trillion yuan in excess available deposits. The potential upside is significant given what happened in 2014-15 when two trillion yuan of retail inflows helped stage a trough to peak surge of about 150% in Chinese shares. That's from UBS. So, uh, and that was also in one of the articles I think I'm gonna be sharing here. A Stock Trader's Guide to China's National People's Congress. This is a catalyst we've been talking about. This is happening over the weekend on the 5th. Um, so equity traders are keenly looking to this weekend's National People's Congress to provide fresh catalysts for after a torrid February abruptly halted the, the market's reopening rally. It was mainly the strong dollar. And with comments like Bostic, and maybe we'll see more, we, we're getting two more 25 bips, maybe three worst case scenario. Uh, but when we get to that finish, the dollar is done. Uh, we have a counter trend bounce this week, and that will uh, that will unwind, and emerging markets will be back off to the races again. Um, so, more steps to boost consumption, new business friendly policies for the private sector, and further support for the property industry among the measures that may do the trick. The co- Congress Chinese Parliament will meet on Sunday and usher in a once in a decade leadership overhaul of key agencies. Expectations are rising that Beijing will unfe- unveil an economic growth target above. this year. And that's been our core thesis for why the whole world is undervalued. A rising tide lifts all boats. You have the second largest economy coming out of lockdown after three years. uh, And they're going to blow past 5% in our view, which we talked about with Charles. Um, 
it's going to be a big deal. So stimulating consumption to return to pre-pandemic levels of growth is definitely Beijing's top priority. Uh, the other priority will be boosting investments, especially through new infrastructure spending. Uh, so this was the rally. This is the pullback, normal consolidation to just shake out the late week hands. Uh, they talk about the digital economy, digitization, all the things about China, and then big tech. Last but not least, Xi has signaled that Beijing wants major tech companies to play a leading role in the recovery this year, creating jobs and competing in the international market. Signs of a more conciliatory tone after a year-long crackdown may boost big tech companies such as Tencent Holdings, Alibaba Holding Group, and Baidu. Next, uh, Ryan Dietrich, always putting out great stuff over at the Carson Group. Uh, this is a proprietary composite of the S&P looking at the average year, uh, third year of the president cycles, uh, past 20 years, year three of new president and January great being greater than 5%. Average annual return is 15.6. So we just put together a lot of the things that we've been talking about for some time. Uh, stocks gain uh, greater than 20% on average the third year of a new president. Uh, which would be this year. But looking at the previous 10 presidents shows stocks usually consolidated some in February and March. Sound familiar? That's exactly what we did. Uh, good news is eventual strength is what tends to happen. I hope we get a little more softness in March, but I'm not counting on it because there's a lot of new money to put to work. So um, we'll see. <laughs> we got to get we got to get this going. So um, but then we're off to the races. And that's been our base case since last October. Janet Yellen now sees the chance the U.S. economy will avoid a recession as inflation is coming down. You think, you know, as um, one of the myth busters that I didn't get to cover with Charles, um, we covered the Fed, we covered earnings, we didn't get to cover inflation. The average returns in a rising inflation environment are 5.5% since 1928. The average returns in a falling inflation environment since 1928 are 14.7%. And you don't need a microscope to see that CPI has been coming down every single month since July. Uh, and that bodes well for above average returns moving forward. And, uh, and that's been our case. It's, uh, it's the discounting mechanism we've talked about ad infinitum and, uh, and it's just coming. Investors are breaking, bracing for a surge in market volatility. They're buying more VIX call options uh, than ever than ever the most that they've bought since the exact lows in March of 2020. So they're buying insurance for a fire that's already happened. We've discussed that many times. Apartment rents fall as crush of new supply hits the market. I've talked about this with Phil Yin over at uh, CGTN America for the last couple of weeks I've been on. And I said, watch in May, June, July. Look at new leases, look at new commercial leases and new residential leases. The new leases are coming down. It's the old leases on a lag basis that are all going to hit at once. It's the most heavily weighted component in the CPI index. And when that hits, it's going to collapse. And all the people that were sitting on their hands and buying insurance for last year's fire are going to miss the first, well, they've already missed the first 18%. They're going to miss the next 20% is what's going to happen. Uh, corporate stock buybacks help keep the market afloat. Repurchases among S&P companies are projected to top $1 trillion this year. China's factory activity expands at the fastest pace in more than a decade, not just pre-pandemic highs, more than a decade. This is big stuff. We talked a little bit about it with Charles. China scrambles to save plummeting birth rate with pregnancy perks. Uh, our, our base case is their toast 
just like Japan in the late 80s. They're going to have one more parabolic run like nothing we've ever seen before. I think Baba will be the major beneficiary of that given the weight, et cetera, next three, four years, and then it'll be it for China. Uh, Their one-child policy over the years left them in a lurch, and they're not going to be able to make it back. Uh, never say never. You know, if they do some monster baby boom, then then uh, then maybe that parabolic run could run for longer than three or four years. But uh, our bet is three, four years and out, triple, quadruple our money and uh, sayonara. So uh, chat GPT spurs AI product race as Baidu, ByteDance and other Chinese giants push out new bots and generators. We talked about that. Property developer Vanky to raise 500 million via share placement uh, term sheets are out. What a difference a few months makes. <laughs> Everyone was saying they were going BK and now they're raising a half a billion dollars with no problem. EV makers Neo XPen Lee uh, report stronger sales in February. Next, Chinese manufacturing hub Su Xiao pushes expansion of local semiconductor sector in 2023 as U.S. escalates chip restrictions. The government is going to desperately rely on companies like Alibaba that can design high-end chips uh, along the lines of what uh, NVIDIA does and uh, doing the things that they need to do to compete in AI, in cloud, in other things. So they're becoming more and more necessary. Here's the U.S. dollar. Like we said, this is a counter-trend rally. And uh, we're going to see this, you know, 105, maybe up to 106. And I think we're going to get a stall. Once this thing stalls, emerging markets in China are going to go crazy to the upside once again. Uh, you'll have the, the, the China National Congress thing this weekend. But the big thing that you want to be watching, as we said in October, was when the dollar stops going up, these things are going to rip. So they had their first 100% rip. They consolidated. Now the dollar got a little strength in February. Once that counter trend rally works itself off, Chinese and emerging markets are going to rip again. Uh, Alibaba and China stocks are rallying. Chinese growth means lockdown pain is in the past from Jack Denton over at Barron's. He's a very balanced writer on China. I enjoy his work. Uh, China manufacturing re- rebounds to expansionary feb- uh, territory in February, ending six months of contraction. All, all the numbers were above 51. The Caxon, the services, the composite, the manufacturing PMIs. Um, new orders expanded for the first time in seven months. Employment climbed for the first time in 11 months. Uh, backlogs of work increased at the quickest rate in 16 months. Um, and sentiment improved to a 23-month high amid expectations of a sustained recovery in consumer demand. So that's all you need to know. Everything we've anticipated is starting to come true. Opinion follows trend. Price will follow. Even our friend at Barron's who had converted of late after the 100% rally, she started to show show some signs of wavering, just like all the retail traders that that bought at 120 got flushed out and they're going to miss the move to 140, 160. But that's a good barometer. You have to you have to pay attention to uh, all voices and uh, and filter out what 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 are uh, filter out the signal from the noise. And sometimes uh, the contrary indicators are the most um, uh, prescient. So uh, China leaders surprised by pace of economies rebound. Uh, Covid wave after nation reopened was faster than they expected. Economists expect China to set five plus percent growth target next week. So that is that, and that's just the beginning, which is pretty exciting to see because Alibaba is the toll taker. UBS sees $87 billion of China retail money supporting stocks. 
Potential upside is huge given 2015 stock market experience. Retail inflows set to pick up in the next three to six months. Uh, China households may plow as much as 86.8 billion US dollars of excess savings uh, into stocks, and you can see it here. So uh, moving along, we've got biotech has fallen. Well, biotech bottomed in May. In May, it rallied. It's been sideways ever since. Now they're saying it could be a good time to buy. We agree the thesis hasn't changed. It's just like Buffett said this weekend, patience is king. And uh, you've got deals now. Pfizer did CGen for $30 billion this week. We had the biohavens last year, and we're getting the drug approvals. And now what they're saying, the next catalyst is going to be new drug announcements. So um, look, the bottom line is we bought it when the when the metrics were exceptionally aberrationally cheap, whether price to book, price to operating cash flow, you name it, uh, uh, enterprise value to cash. Uh, and uh, and then you just wait for, for the thesis to play out. It'll be whatever headline it'll be, it'll be. But when they go, they're going to start to go. And uh, and we think that's soon. Article of the week, the Ferruccio Lamborghini stock market and sentiment results. Here you have a drawing of a bull uh, signifying Lamborghini behind a horse signifying Ferrari. This is a quite graphic picture, but we're going to explain what that means. It's from the movie Lamborghini, the man behind the legend movie. That's where the photo credit comes out. Now, one of my favorite pastimes when I have a little free time is reading books and watching movies about extraordinary individuals who overcame significant obstacles to ascend to greatness. In recent weeks, I rented a movie on Amazon Prime called Lamborghini, the man behind the legend, which chronicled the rise of a man who grew up poor in a farming family and after the war took his mechanical skills to build a tractor company from scratch. He put it all on the line, he actually mortgaged his family's farm, they could have lost everything, uh, and achieved great success, which afforded him the opportunity to own and drive many Ferraris. At some, after some time, he met with Enzo Ferrari and noted to him that while he loved the, the cars, uh, the clutch and the transmission were weak, and if they could partner in some way, Ferruccio would build him an indestructible transmission and clutch so that it would retain its status as the greatest car in the world. Enzo insulted Ferruccio and told him to stick to tractors. That was a mistake. Uh, with Enzo's cavalier language, he birthed a formidable competitor in Ferruccio at the Geneva Audio Show in 1964, where Ferruccio launched the Lamborghini GT in green, by the way. All of the attention was shifted away from Ferrari and to the new kid on the block, which was Ferruccio, declared to the fawning press, quote, you own a Ferrari when you want to be someone, you own a Lamborghini if you already are somebody. And that was uh, the quote that stole the day. Uh, it was a gut punch to Enzo and to further rub salt in the wound during the unveiling of the green GT, Ferruccio had his assistant deliver the header image above, the bull and the horse to Enzo. This was a clear message he had won the battle and that Enzo had made a colossal mistake with his dismissiveness just a few years earlier. I'll leave it to your interpretation uh, to what the drawing above implied, but the theme is crystal clear. Uh, you get a sense of what Ferruccio was trying to tell Enzo. Now, I don't know whether Ferruccio was correct in his assertions of the superiority of his product over Ferrari or the people who drive it, but one thing was clear. Had Enzo operated with a bit more tact and diplomacy, a farmer turned tractor manufacturer would never have given him a run for his money, nor would Lamborghini have followed up on the success of the GT just over a year later and presented at the Geneva Auto Show in 1966 what some consider 
the first supercar and the most beautiful car of all time, the Lamborghini Muera. I think you can pick one of these up if you can find it for three and a half, four million dollars. Uh, this is a beautiful green version. And the original version in 66, you'll see in the movie, these pieces of plastic around the lights were actually modeled after a woman's eyelashes. So the first versions of these were cuts of plastic to made, made to look like eyelashes. And you can see the beauty of this car. So what does this have to do with the stock market? The header image depicts a scenario of what the stock market bulls may have a chance to do to the bears. Uh, swap out the Ferrari horse for, for a bear in coming months. And I discussed that on CGTN, which you already heard. So let's do some myth debunking and go through the stats I shared on Charles Payne's show on Fox Business today. First of all, number one, uh, myth number one, don't buy stocks because stocks don't go up during tight, tight, tightening cycles, aka don't fight the Fed. Well, that's simply not true because on average, uh, during the last four tightening cycles since 1994, the stock market's gone up 8, 7.8%. And by the way, <coughs> what was the top performing sector? Technology, on average, 20.6%. By the way, the second one, REITs. What were the worst two performers last year? Technology and REITs. What are the best two performers? Well, there you go. They're, they're off to a strong, strong start. Um, next, myth. And by the way, this these charts are from... Seth Golden over at the Finom Group. Check him out on, on Twitter uh, at SethCL. I think that's it. Let me just double check because he puts out good stuff. He's a great aggregator of great stuff. Yeah, at SethCL. Check him out because uh, he puts out some great stuff. Second of all, that's from Strategus via Seth. And then second, the stock market must go down when earnings are coming down. Well, that's simply not the case because since 1930, in the years where earnings are negative year on year, the stock market's still up 9.8% on average. In the years that they're positive year on year, it's up 10.2. Uh, three, the stock market can't rally with high inflation. Well, this is key. In a rising inflation environment, uh, stocks average up 5.5%. In a falling inflation environment, which we're right now, uh, average returns uh, are 14.7%. So here's what the crowd is currently doing. First, they're coming out of stocks at a pace not seen since spring of 2020. To jog your memory, this was right after the first rally off the lows. All of the big name commentators were declaring that we are going back and take out the lows. Does that sound familiar? So this was this monster rally. No one believed it the whole way up. Same exact thing we're seeing it right now. The reason you had a 43% rally versus we just had an 18 or 19% rally is because the crash was much more precipitous. You know, you were down on the Dow some 33%. This time on the Dow, it was mid-teens on the NAS, on the S&P. Peak to trough was 25. So you go down further, you have a quick first bounce. But here, um, same exact thing. We're consolidating gains just like we did in July of 2020. Everyone said, we're, this isn't real. We don't have a vaccine, yada, 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 lockdown, schmockdown. And sure enough, what did we do? We went up another 50% over the next year and a half. And uh, I think we're going to see a similar situation right now. Everyone's buying insurance after the fire, record call options. Only other time was March of 2020, uh, where they had bought insurance after the collapse. Third, everyone's piling into bonds and out of stocks at a pace not seen since the March 2020 pandemic lows and the March 29, 20, 2009 great financial crisis lows. These were time to buy equities 
not bonds. Now, I don't know about you, but all I can tell you is stock markets don't top when managers are overweight bonds. They top when managers are overweight stocks and we run out of marginal buyers. The exact opposite is true. You can see what happened at the pandemic lows. You can see what happened at the uh, euro debt crisis lows in uh, 2011. You can see what happened in 2002. And most, of course, you can see at the March 2009 great financial crisis lows. All into bonds, all out of stocks. It seems like the perfect idea, right? 5%, no risk. Well, here's your risk. Number one, negative real yields after inflation. And number two, the big thing is that you miss the, the big pain trade is that the stock market takes off without you. Not only did you already miss the first 18%, sure, we pulled back a few percent, so 15%. But when you wake up and you miss the next 20%, and it's 35%, you can never get that back. And in, investing, in an investing lifetime, if you miss that opportunity, uh, you've been, you know, it's, it's uh, very hard to, to get back without major risk. So if you agree with the herd, try let, being like George Costanza and do the opposite. So George has a lifetime of making all the wrong decisions. He decides one day he's going to flip and do the exact opposite of everything that he's ever thought was his instinct to do. And all of a sudden, everything starts falling into place. So if you're with the herd and uh, 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 you haven't been pleased, I would suggest uh, try the opposite and see what happens over the next six months. I think you'll be very happy. What's next? Inflation will continue to come down over time. This is uh, S&P 500 companies citing inflation on the earnings calls. It's, it's, it's rolling over. Uh, seasonality is going to continue to improve. We had the weakness in February as anticipated, which we talked about two weeks ago. And then now March and April are among the strongest here as we move forward. And then finally, global growth will exceed expectations as the second largest economy comes out of a three-year stop and start lockdown. This is the white swan that everyone is that no one is positioned for. Everyone's looking for the black swan. And when everyone's looking for it, it doesn't come. Why? Because it already came last year. A rising tide lifts all boats. Last night was a preview of coming attractions when China printed a composite PMI, which measures the economic activity in manufacturing and services that was greater than pre-pandemic levels of activity. Uh, and it's just mind-boggling. Look at this, 2019, all the way back, uh, going back almost a decade. So the next time you think about selling high-quality stocks to buy bonds, ask yourself, do I want to be the bull in the picture or the horses? Never mind. Now on to the shorter-term view for the general market. In this week's AAII sentiment result, bullish percent ticked up to 23% from 21%. The previous week, bearish percent jumped to 44.8 from 38.6. Retail traders and investors are shaking in their boots. They've just sold all their equities in the last few weeks in the hole, and now we can take off without them once again and burn them on their insurance. And by the way, the interesting thing about it is everyone says, wow, everyone's buying insurance. Who do you think is selling to them? I can assure you it's people that are much smarter than the ones that are buying and those are the guys that get paid 90% of the time, not the guys who buy, particularly on the short dated stuff. If you want to make money in options, just follow this simple maxim. If you, you want to be a seller on short dated and a buyer on very long dated, and that right there will dramatically increase your odds, uh, all things else held equal. Uh, CNN fear and greed fell from 63%, uh, 63 last week to 56 this week. Sentiments neutral on this one. And finally, the National Association of Active Investment Managers. Just in time, they all dropped back their equity exposure. Now we can take off again in coming weeks. Uh, moving right along, we've got um, 
Uh, earnings, uh, George pulled these together, top 30 weights of uh, financial services, fi uh, financial sector rather, in the last 60 days. Uh, earnings came down 150 uh, by 1.5% for 2023 and 0.888, 9 tenths of 1% for 2024. So basically flat, the stocks are down. That's a good, good arbitrage. And then healthcare, the stocks have come down a lot and so have earnings. Think insurance companies, think all of the defensives that everyone was piling into last year. Uh, their earnings came down 11.6 for 2023 and 2.5 for 2024. So some of these are becoming viable um, and, um, and we'll be, there'll be more on that to come. Moving along, uh, we got that and we're ready for... Let's see uh, if there was anything I wanted to cover here. Earnings, uh, yeah, here's by sector, the number of companies citing inflation on an earnings call. Uh, and what do you know, tech and communication services are the ones least affected by that, as well as real estate. So that's a positive thing to see, real estate meaning REITs. Economic data this week, uh, uh, core durable goods orders came in better than expected. Durable goods came in worse. Pending home sales were up 8.1%. That was kind of a surprise. Then you had uh, retail inventories up. Let's get to some of the important stuff here. Uh, my oil is pretty flat. Chicago PMI came in low. So that makes the case that the Fed's work is getting done. CB consumer confidence came in lower than expected of 102.9%. So we're kind of in this muddling along. It's like on the one hand, you want to see the economy strong. On the other hand, not so strong that the Fed keeps at it for more than they have to, which is another couple 25 bips. Uh, so we'll see. The, ne the jobs report is out next week. That's going to be the big number, followed by the following. So that's the 10th, Friday the 10th. And then uh, the number I'm going to be watching is labor force participation rate. Because remember, as I said, you can get to um, a ceiling on wage growth two ways. Number one, destroy all the jobs. Number two, have a whole slew of new supply of labor come back on board, which has been happening in recent months with the labor force participation rate now at a tie for post-pandemic uh, highest level, meaning we start to approach 63, you get another 500,000 million people competing for jobs. That puts a lid on wage growth and, uh, and that takes the Fed out of the picture, which is, which is what we're looking for. Uh, ISM manufacturing PMI down a bit. Prices up a little bit. So, you know, it's it's just constantly mixed. And that's why the market can't figure it out. And that's why when you hear something like Bostic, the market likes it quite a bit. Continuing claims were solid. They were in line with expectations. Initial jobless claims came in lower than expected. So there's this kind of strength uh, push-pull going on in the market. And that's why the market's basically been flat since August. Um, earnings, uh, Broadcom was strong. You saw... Dan Loeb going through a passive stake for a uh, chip supplier, uh, AMD, I believe it was today. That was uh, out when I was uh, over at Fox. And then um, no other super major earnings that we need to cover here. All right, let's get to the Ask Me Anything questions because we have quite a few this week and I want to try to do some justice and uh, also keep this at a reasonable pace. Girls are now also in water polo. So we've got water polo this weekend in addition to the swimming. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, all right. So uh, question number one. 
I got to do this off another screen. All right. Uh, found you on YouTube. My partner and I are interested. Okay. So yeah, I spoke to those guys who sold their digital uh, uh, ad business. Unbelievable story what those guys have accomplished. Uh, John Weller, truly appreciate your optimistic view on the market. I see CDF, CDS swaps increasing similar to what happened in 2008, suggesting a USA default. You think that is a possibility? Are there protections U.S. retail investors could do or buy? So this is a perfect microcosm of the fear among retail traders. Uh, no, there's zero chance of a default. Um, I mean, look, you, you never count a politician out to screw things up, but uh, that's a no-no. And um, uh, very small possibility. How would you hedge against that? I mean, um, you don't want to buy gold. You probably want to buy guns and ammunition and shelter and uh, solar panels and a fishing rod and um, canned food and that type of stuff. So uh, have at it. I'm going to take a pass on that. That's no way to live, but uh, I appreciate the question. Moving along, uh, James Stawicki, hope you're good. And thanks as always for the very truly helpful content. It has accelerated my investing education. You might remember a few months ago, I showed a student uh, on, I'm currently firming up a similar thesis on Airtel Africa. LSC AAF was wondering if you'd come across it. <clears throat> uh, only went public. Okay, brief summary. Connecting the last billions, blah, blah, blah. All right, let's take a look. Uh, Airtel. Africa. All right, so they've been public for... So this is already up 5X. Let's take a look. Um, Airtel. All right, so revenue is almost doubled. Uh, margins are going up. EBITDA is improving. Net income, they're earning money. Let's take a look at the balance sheet. Six hundred thirty-eight million liabilities. They've been paying down debt. That's good. Cash flow. Cash from operations is growing quite a bit. Free cash flow is growing. So that's very positive. Um, strong return on capital, gross margin. Um, this this definitely uh, is worth a better look. Uh, let's see. Connecting the last billion, bringing telecom services to Africa, fast-growing free cash flow machine, low multiple at seven, eight times forward, operates in 14 countries all of which is either an oligopoly or monopoly and where mobile penetration is only 62% across its own competition rates, 37% use data, 80% of those are still 2G, 3G, meaning there's six X room for organic expansion over time. 
while trending telecoms, mobile money services, bull thesis, the company has potential kicker through its mobile money services. Uh, been growing at 40% CAGR since 2000. Recently proven in uh, Nigeria, largest market for telecoms. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend that builds, or a friend of a friend who builds all of the airports and um, soccer stadiums in Africa, and he's he's super bullish on the whole region. Um, James, I think you got a winner here. Um, a winner meaning it's time to actually do the real work. All the conference calls, all the public filings, you can get financials pre-2017 from uh, the original proxy. They should have some pro forma financials. Um, but I think you've done some good work here, and I think you might have something worth a look uh, and possibly getting involved in. Let's see. Okay, let's see. Yeah, I mean, everything's moving in the right direction. Fast growth, growing population, the whole story. Uh, the key is going to be institutional sponsorship. Who owns it? Let's see. <sighs> Airtel Africa, Mauritius. Barty Overseas, that's probably India. Singapore Telecom. Shorter owns 1%. So you don't have a lot of sponsorship yet, but, um, you know, you you have to size it accordingly. I mean, there's big risk in Africa, but there's also big growth. So um, to get exposure to the region, which I think is an important thing to do, but not outsize it, because if you're right, you'll get the multi-bagger. So it'll contribute, even if it's a 2% position and it winds up being a 10-bagger over time, that's going to contribute you know, 20 points to overall performance. And if something works out where the financials aren't right or something silly, uh, it's 2% of the portfolio. That's, you have to kind of play them like options. As a matter of fact, this guy reached out to me today and he said, um, uh, hi, Thomas, hope you're well. Marquetta, um, phenomenal top line growth. Gross profit increase, strong balance sheet, buyback program, 72% institutional holding, et cetera, et cetera. It's my favorite growth stock currently. I said, okay, so what's the bear case? Why is it down 85%? The ticker, by the way, is uh, MQ. He said, revenue concentration is over 70% with Square. Square contracts are ending in 2024. They said on the earnings call that it's very likely to be renewed. Path to profitability is a few quarters away. Growth for 2023 cannot match the insane numbers due to year on year comps. I said, okay, so you're gambling on one client client and a binary outcome, which is okay. But what, what you have is an option with no expiration date is basically what it comes down to or, or a very long uh, uh, expiration date. If they don't become profitable and they just burn away their cash, there will be an expiration date. However, uh, once you understand that you size it in the same way you would size an option, to manage the risk, even though it is slightly better than an option. Options have time decay. This has cash burn. Good luck with it. If it works, it will be a nice win for you. Uh, he said, it's a risky bet, but because of how deeply embedded they are into Square, chances of renewal are high. Um, he goes, it's 85% in the hole. And one thing I've learned from your podcast is to take advantage of such situations to buy when people are puking in the hole. 
No, absolutely wrong. Buy high quality businesses that are cash generative when people are puking in the hole is a completely different story than buying a money losing business on a pipe dream that one customer renews. You, you have a binary option. That's all you have. You don't have anything more than that. It, you don't just buy businesses because they're down 85%. You buy businesses because they're down and figure out why they're down and then uh, uh, act from there. And usually you want it to be cash flow positive or have a history of cash generation and figure out why is it temporarily not producing that cash and how does it get back up to the, to, to the long established trend line. Um, so anyway, he was, uh, he was happy with that. So, but again, people are thinking and coming up with good ideas and, um, and, uh, and, I, and I can see really great development across the board. So great one, James, uh, definitely drill down more. Um, you know, all you're trying to do is screen to what not to buy. And now we pass like an initial screen, then it's time to start to do the hard work and go through uh, the filings, the calls, the competition, channel checks, all of that go goes into it. Moving along. Um, uh, John says, check out the Bloomberg news on range resources. Would be great to get, get your views on a potential deal. So there were rumors swirling that um, uh, Pioneer was going to take out range resources at $30, which would have been terrible because I'd be out at 7.5x when I think it's going to be um, probably some of it will be 20x, but certainly 15x is the intrinsic value that we assigned when we got into it. Um, so uh, my view would be that if a board approved that dumb of a deal, um, it would be a damn shame. It would, it would remind me of Tenneco approving Apollo buying out uh, their stock in the middle of the pandemic and stealing $40 from shareholders. Basically a deal at $30, yeah, we'd get out at seven and a half, but um, they stole $30 out of our pocket is in intrinsic value. And if they just let the business go, um, uh, there's gonna be some that trades well above intrinsic value. So it's, it's uh, you know, some of it will probably go off at 20X. So, um, but that doesn't happen overnight. They don't give multi-baggers overway. We've gone through that before. There was volatility. We had to buy a ton in the hole during the pandemic, brought our basis down to 411. So, um, so to answer your question, if the board does that, they should be uh, sent to a, you know, crazy town. Um, but crazier things have happened. It depends on their incentives. But my experience with the board when I spoke to the company early on uh, is that they don't really care about much about outside pressure. And my inclination is that uh, they'd be inclined to uh, to let this thing run like, like they did in 2013-14 period. Uh, okay, another question from... Aaron Oda, thoughts on WBD, that's uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery, apparently, New Hogwarts game is insanely good and selling very well. I also enjoy their products, HBO, numerous movies. It's also, it's a spinoff. Thanks for all you do. Recommend your podcast. I recommend your podcast to anyone I know interested in the market. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And by the way, uh, for everyone else that's new, um, if you find these valuable, the greatest compliment you could pay me is to share it with one of your friends. Just say, I found this very helpful. I know you love markets too. 
uh, have a listen and uh, and if you like it, great. And if and if you don't, uh, don't listen again. <laughs> you know, uh, the price is right. You know, it's uh, zero dollars. So uh, there you go. But worth it, worth a ton more. And I can see that from the quality of questions that we're getting week after week continue to improve. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. So let's take a look at that. I've been looking at all of the um, the uh, kind of orphan streamers like Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery and AMC Networks. Uh, they're all starting to move uh, and they were all left for dead. It's a tricky business because it doesn't have like predictable cash flows. It basically has to get cheap enough where it warrants taking a punt. Um, so growth margin is down of late return on equity and capital. So, you know, that, that, that was reflected in the price. Uh, we'd have to understand if and how that's going to revert back to normal. Um, Revenues are growing massively. Probably some acquisitions in there. Their margins are, are contracting. So they just started losing money. Let's see what their balance sheet looks like. 2.7 billion. Debt has exploded. So that's, um, yeah, cash flow. Cash from operations has stayed positive. So they're generating free cash flow. That's a good thing. Um, so you're going to have to go through all the investor presentations and find out. Um, you can pull up the value line sheet just to get an idea. So they got Discovery. They got Guy Fieri. I mean, how can you go wrong with Guy Fieri? Every time we travel, I try to take my kids to some of the, some of his restaurants. We love watching that together. My eldest daughter, Mimi, loves to cook. Well, actually, no one in my house cooks, let's be honest about it. But Mimi thinks she likes to cook, or at least she's showing an interest. So we'll get her some cooking lessons. But at the very least, I have someone to watch Guy Fieri with on the rare occasion that I sit down to watch it. Uh, TNE, TBS, da 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 I like officers and directors own 5.4% of the stock. That's a good thing. Uh, transforming, admits of transforming its business. Spun following the merger of Discovery with AT&T. Maintaining 12%. Expect its direct-to-consumer streaming platform will remain the focus of management's uh, invested heavily. Streaming assets, new uh, multi-tier. So they're probably going to just bundle HBO with uh, Discovery and a couple of the other things and give people an attractive package. Let's see. Yeah, actually, uh, the media conglomerate has benefited from merger synergies. Now expects to achieve 3.5 billion. Yeah. So you got to go through when they did the spin and pull up the proxies and see what the incentives are. How are management paid? Were they mostly paid in new stock? Were they paid in cash? But if management has a, a significant amount of stock and the story moving forward uh, is attractive enough, I mean, this one is probably worth a punt. I mean, probably the way I would have played it 
is a basket of the three, you know, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Paramount, and um, AMCX. But they've all kind of popped. And uh, and that's, you know, they kind of get away from you and you can't do everything. But I think you're, yeah, so these popped. Um, they basically were sold down into the tax law selling like nobody's business. Warner Brothers Discovery, same thing in Paris. So they're all trading together. Basically the same story. Um, I'd probably buy a basket if I was going to play, but you need to do a lot more work on it. I think you're on the right track. Let's see here. Uh, Gregory Brink. Hi, Tom. Great seeing the Canadian jersey on last week's episode. Thought, thoughts on biotech space. Uh, undervalued sector with potential room to go this year. No question about it. We have a big position in biotech. We think that's going to click at, at some point. Once it clicks, it's not going to let anyone in. It's just going to run and run and run. Um, so we agree with you. It's all about deals and drugs. And those are both picking up. Uh, they started last year, which is why it bottomed in May. And um, that's going to continue and be a trend. So, yeah, this is basically it. Here was the bottom. And then you've just been grinding sideways for literally uh, six months. But in the scheme of things, Six months is nothing. This looks a lot like the tightening cycle from 2016 to 18 when it sold off huge. Then you had this punt sideways grind and then you went back to new highs. And if you do that, we're going to make a ton of money over the next year and a half on this. And we think that's going to be the case. So we like it. You're asking about ARKG. I generally don't do um, individual names in biotech. I have no edge. but um, Let's see if this has any semblance of stable cash flows because it could be like an Amgen or something like that where you can do some analysis on it. It's not just uh, a lottery ticket. I, I like the basket of lottery tickets. I don't like one lottery ticket with a binary outcome. Um, oh, ARC Genomic Revolution. Uh, I'll pass on that. All right, moving along. Uh, Andrew Lair. Hey, Tom, thank you for your continued great work. Could you talk about Google as a potential investment? $60 billion of free cash flow down from 10% from 2021, but could double 2019 and up from $43 billion in 2020. Net income was down 34% last year, even down performance-wise as uh, still high up on the food chain, working to avoid market risk and company risk. Stock prices hit a bit after the BART announcement. We believe this was a temporary impairment. I believe this was a temporary impairment. Even with chat GPT, I have yet to hear one person say let's bing it overall stock price is down 40 percent from its highs uh bonus anecdote lilu fund holds alphabet um limiting factors a massive company how much room for growth google cloud trails aws and microsoft azure curious on your take on alphabet um i'm getting more interested i'm still not there for me it's a trade at this point um but there's nothing not to love here. And I think you're right on this, Andrew. Whether I'm going to be involved in it or not uh, remains to be determined, but it's on my radar. Um, and I haven't done anything about it yet. And by the way, two people sent in questions that, of uh, companies that were building 
positions for, for new capital. And uh, so we're not going to be covering this. But it just goes to show like people are really <laughs> learning a lot and doing great things from uh, tuning in every week. And I'm really glad to see people getting tremendous value. The people who are consistent, like anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love get Alphabet here. I got to be honest. Um, I mean, we're watching this on YouTube, right? So, what 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 else more is there to talk about? They, they have they have a, they have an interest in hedge fund tips with Tom Hayes. How can you go wrong? <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, the key is going to be how good do they get with efficiencies, and uh, they seem to be hopping on the bandwagon. Um, what are the clear catalysts to unlock value? Um, let's see. I mean, I don't just look at the cash this company generates. It's like unbelievable. Sixty billion of free cash flow. Uh, Gross, gross margins are a little bit softening since 2016, but nothing alarming. I think you're right. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it, Andrew, but I think you're right. And, I, you know, there's more work to do. Uh, I'd have to kind of understand with someone who knows what they're talking about if there's an actual threat. But my understanding, and I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, is Alphabet and Google already has all the underlying AI that ChatGPT has. Uh, and is using it in different ways and can trounce what chat GPT is, but it remains to be seen. I mean, they came out with a, 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 a terrible uh, launch and, um, but I think they'll fix it. I think if anyone can fix it, it's them. They've got the smartest engineers in the world. Um, and the ability to do mass data lakes and all of the other stuff. So I like this idea. I think it's well thought out. Uh, let's see what else we got here. That's everything. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in uh, this week from New York City. It was uh, exciting to be able to do that. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.